0: I have a word today,
1: you know, before we move on, Brother Roberts, go ahead. Let's meditate the word. I usually want to be down at night uh, for quite some time, or we'll, uh, just review scriptures and things on things. But there was something the Lord brought to my attention. It's like an obscure passage, something we don't really think on. You can read passages in a sense, and it looks what it states word for word until the Lord breathes life into it. As Ezekiel, the first chapter, and it describes the the beings that when Ezekiel saw them in, and they came out of the whirlwind, he was describing, you know his description of them. In space, it states in verse seven that says, "And their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a cast foot. They sparkled like the color of burnished brass. Straight means they were upright. Mm-hmm. Cast foot, unmovable, unmovable in what?" Every principle. These beings are in the presence of a living God. They do not move. Burnish brass, judgment. But you know something? Here's the thing. You get inspiration. Inspiration can evaporate. Study brings understanding in the word of God. And we may be brought to a place sometime where we are we feel weak. We may feel whatever we feel. But here's the deal: study brings understanding. Understanding brings strength. And I don't care what the enemy of our soul tries to do to corner us. Bring checkmate. We come out on the other side. And then we, it is a reverse thing. Understanding brings strength and power. You cannot be checkmate. If you are gold, gold is gold. I don't care how many times you heat it up. Its molecular composition does not change. It is purified. And when you're cornered and you have an understanding, you're grounded in the Word, you don't checkmate me. I come back and I move forward still. And God brings us across the board yes. into the place He wants us to be. Hallelujah. Strength and understanding comes through study. We have got to be a people of the Word. We have got to know what we know and where we stand and who we are in Him. I thank Him yes. for the Word today. Yes. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's just rejoice in the Lord. Praise God. Let the Lord encourage you. Hallelujah. To move by the Spirit into the Word of life. Hallelujah. And receive strength from the Lord's instruction. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.
1: Jesus.
2: Praise God.
0: Thank you, Jesus. The devil
1: cannot defeat my king.
0: Praise God. He will never God. topple God. my Thank you. king. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Thank you. Jesus. Jesus. Someone Lord, someone else. I'll I'll testimony, praise, for Lord. word, word from Lord. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus. I'm going to testify. Man. Yes.
3: yes. Praise, praise the Lord. Saints. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Awesome to be in the house of God this morning. and that stand in awe of creator of heaven and earth, giving glory and honor to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Honor to the saints here, pastor. Honor to where honor is due. I want to thank the Lord for an experience I had with my family this this past Friday. Friday Friday night, um, my kids had gone to this local restaurant the other day with their their grandmother Mm -hmm. and Sarah. They were so excited to show me because they really enjoyed the food and so we went uh, to this local place, it and was, it was pretty busy. It was like a 25 minute wait, which anybody who has kids, so that's kind of like the limit. When the kids are hungry, but they were very excited to go, and they kind of had this nice little lawn area out back, so we were like, yeah, we'll wait, and we'll just let the kids run around, and you know, get more hungry, I guess. So we did that, You know, we went in, we sat down, and uh, the waitress was very kind, it was a family owned restaurant, and uh, the, Waitress was the daughter, of the owner. So the, the mother owned it, and you know, her stepsisters and brothers, and everybody worked there. They remembered the kids from the other day, um, so they were interacting with them. And I always appreciate that. Usually kids don't bother, you know, the wait staff. But usually the wait staff doesn't even bother with the kids. It takes their order, you know, doesn't interact with them much. Just you know, you know, few kids. But this this particular place who were very interactive with the kids. The kids loved it. It was great. Uh, my children are, tend to be uh, a little more extrovert. They're, you know, very outgoing. You know, what's your name? You know, where are you from? Um, and I appreciate that because that, that's that's all the Lord's doing. Uh, God has put that in them to, to, to outreach to people and a lot of times that does open up a, a channel for us to be able to, to talk with people. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah.
0: It
3: kind of, It kind of you know, if a kid's asking a question, it's a little—it's a little different than some adult going, you know, hey, what's your name? <laughs> you know, we, we live in a culture where people, you know, just as soon as spit on you as as looking at you or interact with you. Uh, but what I really appreciate is we were just sitting there doing our own thing as as a family, and uh, a, you know, the place was packed, and as people were getting up to leave, they two or three people I think stopped by our table and were just. Know, your children are so well behaved and it's nice to see you know everybody's not looking at a phone and it was I mean I'm just again you know one of those people kind of just doing what I'm doing to serve the Lord Jesus to God. raise my children in a godly heritage yes. sometimes you don't even understand how your life is a living testimony mm-hmm. to those people around you because uh, even the people of the world they, they notice something's going on there, right now and they can see when something is different and out of the mainstream. They saw a family sit down with a bunch of kids. The kids were, I mean, at least everyone else thought they were well-balanced. <laughs> and and, and they, they weren't out of control. They, they did very well. Um, but they saw the engagement that us as parents, as, as, as people trying to serve and, and live for God, without them knowing that that's what we were trying to do, but engaged with our children at the table having dinner. We, we didn't have our phones out. We weren't, we weren't ignoring our children and we weren't just trying to shove a, a phone in their face to keep them busy so that you know they wouldn't bother us while we're trying to do our own thing. We we went to this restaurant as a family. My children were excited for me to go there with them because they had such a great time the last time. Um, and the food was really good and, and it was a it was a great it was a great experience to so just let me know like people are watching. Yeah. And they're seeing what what godly people are supposed to be like. Yeah. You know, to to for, for all my faults and failures, if I get one thing right, I hope it's just raising children to know God. Raising my children—that's my first ministry—is is to this family that God has given me. And if I can raise my children to know the Lord, and for other people to to see how a family unit is supposed to be. I just thank god for that because it was you know a lot of times you you just get in this headspace like you know what, are, what is this all for but like, is am i making any progress my kids all seem to be kind of going crazy and you know and, and not that you need a pat on the back but sure. every once in a while god will be he'll be sure to pull you aside and say hey you're you're doing the right thing yes yes, um, yes. he's also sure to pull you aside and say hey you're doing the wrong thing right <laughs> it's up for us to listen but it was it was it was really heartwarming for me to see that you know people people enjoyed being in the same space as my kids uh, because they were you know they, they for the most part they were well behaved and uh, I just thank the Lord for that because it was a beautiful thing it was a beautiful thing yes. to experience I think it was encouraging for my wife because you know she takes on the ball, role of, of raising the kids while I'm out working and um, you know it, it it's, it's really a testimony to her and, and her mothering, and and no. The talent, ability no. that God has given her to rear children—you um, know—to keep all those little ducklings in a row and in a line—I thank the Lord for, for that experience. I thank the Lord for my wife, for the yes. children, this this family that He's given me. I thank the Lord for being here today. Yes, amen. Yes, yes, I yes. yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you Jesus.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship the Lord again. Thank you, Lord God, for our life. Thank you, Lord God, for shining your light out of us. Hallelujah.
2: That this world
0: can see
2: who you are to us. Thank
0: you, Lord
3: Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank
0: you, Lord God. We would never be ashamed, of God, Hallelujah! shine your light to us Praise God. This is good.
4: This is good.
1: Okay.
4: Cool. Anyone else? I don't think I've ever said this, but uh, it, it uh, kind of just going off of what you were saying, Chris. You know, it's been a blessing of uh, you engaged and coming over there with the families. Um, I come from, we're all different. family, you know, it kind of blew up and stuff, but, and that's nothing. you know, God is awesome, you know, um, I don't think any one of us have, like, God didn't have, like, the Olympics where, oh, my testimony, you know, and your testimony, our testimony, if it's really of the Lord and we have the right heart and humility, you know, they, they, uh, they're, they're like a a diamond, you know, just a different facet. When the light hits it, it's still, it's just as beautiful, you know, Um, but I um, just wanted to say that it's always been a blessing. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this, but you guys, when we used to visit the Olette's you know, it was always a blessing to see your children, um, both of your families, uh, at the altar, you know, and um, singing, and, I mean, it was, it's a reflection of what you guys are doing as parents, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, setting an example. I mean, nobody's going to imitate. I mean, sure, in the world you got all kinds of quackery, even in, in religion and stuff like that, but if you're sincere and you're seeking and God gives you the eyes to see, you can see stuff, you know, and, uh, and you know, it's like uh, nothing more awesome than a true repentance from parents that, that your your children can see, you know, or a true relationship with God that your children can see to the point where they're they're willing to imitate it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean not just copying but more, more like inspired to actually follow in, in, in those footsteps. And so knowing God is the most important thing and getting your children to know God as you pursue Him, mm-hmm. you know, uh it's like I can't teach my children, if I ever have children, to know God unless I know God. You know what right. I mean? And so I need to, above all things, sometimes I put the cart before the horse, you know, and God keeps telling me, it's not bad what you're what you want or, or what you're going for. It's just remember my order. Yes. You know, remember that before you can turn from your wicked ways, you've got to seek my face before you seek your face, seek my face, you got to pray and before you pray, you got to humble yourself and I, um, he keeps emphasizing these things because sometimes when like when I was younger, a lot of uh, crazy and traumatic things uh, have happened and like I don't know if, if this is like part of my personality or whatever, like the hair, right the tortoise in the hair sometimes I can be like the hare and try to rush after something without patiently, you know, what does he say, be still, wait on the Lord, you know, sitting at the feet of Jesus. I mean, I guess maybe there's a good balance going after something, but you have to have the right stuff in order to go, you have to have the right foundations, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but anyhow, uh, I just wanted to share that. that it does make a difference, not just in, in uh, I mean, thankfully, it makes a difference out there in the world, because they need it so bad, but thankfully, it also makes a difference in the church, you know, um, with the people of God, and uh, I just wanted to share that with all sincerity, I'm thankful that you guys are here, and I'm thankful for what you have brought, and how you honor the man of God, and his wife, and um, you're a blessing to us, and I um, just wanted to share that probably something else but I'll just leave it at God thank you mm-hmm. God, amen. Hallelujah. Thank God. Jesus. Thank you. Oh, I remember what it was, I'm sorry. I remember what it was. When I was in prison. That's where God had brought me. In. He brought me to you think you've got you come to an end of yourself and then he breaks he's like no you're you're not there yet. You know, you cry out for help when you really need it. But you still got so much more rebellion in you, or so much more wounds. So he had to really bring it to, uh, to, uh, and he, you know he's still doing that on a deeper level. But, um, but when he did, and when there really was, the exodus was just the beginning, right? But I remember one thing's for sure: the Jewish people still don't forget that, right? They still don't forget the exodus. It, um. So, how much more our own personal accidents, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, so, I'll never forget that. But what was crazy is that the Lord actually used people to say, Hey, I remember you from this other prison. You're nothing like you were. What happened? Tower Guard was telling me that on Exercise Yard. Um, he, he just, you know, he, uh, I don't remember if I looked up or if it was a God thing, but I just remember him. Saying hey, you know, uh, I remember you. What happened? You know, <laughs> and also um, this uh, caseworker, right? Uh, they open up your C file. they your coun. They call them a counselor, but uh, nothing like Jesus. You know what I mean? These aren't real counselors. They just uh, kind of oversee uh, things in in your status, and they're like, you know, you don't have any. Drug gets, you're not, you are in good with the fellas, you know, and I say that too. Thankfully, God has delivered me from shame, and thankfully, God has delivered me from glorifying any of that. That's, that's shameful stuff, nothing to be proud of, you know, uh, but, you know, uh, so, he's, you know, and then, then he's like, you know, what happened, you know, and then same thing with my six years later, parole officer that was um, in charge of dealing with the worst of the worst, and um, my mom, I didn't even see it myself, I just humbled myself, I'm like at the mercy of God, and um, because I, you know, God had opened a door for my mom to take me in, because otherwise i say, I'll be homeless, but I know you'll provide for You know, um, and uh, anyhow, she ended up telling my parole officer what a change, Mm -hmm. right? And that was just the beginning. But that's how radical, you know. uh, But it's one thing to live for God when you so desperately, you know, and I can say that if you guys ever get to a place, you've probably been to some really tough places, but if you ever get to a place, you know, because Paul, you have righteous people that sometimes for the cause of Christ find themselves in a place that's supposed to be for people who are not living righteously. But he was living righteously and he was sent to prison. I'm not, I'm not trying to scare anybody, I'm just saying one thing I know is that I'm one of those people who is set free yes. in prison Yes. Yes. And, and, and no one can tell me, you know, yeah, God can, man, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, God has put, but I'm so thankful that God's got some people who live for God no matter what out here. You know what I mean? I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful. You know, God bless you guys, man. It's just, and I'm thankful that God continues that process out here because I never wanted, I used to hear, you know, we're talking like, Mexican Mafia, you know, big time people used to say, you know, you're just hiding behind. They didn't tell me, but they knew if somebody was just hiding behind the Bible, it's like you can't just. What they meant by that is just religion. Even the world recognizes, it, right, that there's a difference between religion and there's there's my my pastor that was in while I was in prison. He had a testimony where the Aryan Brotherhood and sent a, a hitman man to, to go and and, and and kill him, because he was living for God, you know, and the guy came and, and told him, he said, man, I don't know what it is, you know, see, know. so that protection, the <laughs> angels that you have, you know what I'm saying, that you talked about, that God has shown you, you know, like, they will protect you, no matter what, and, and um, you know, and you know it's amazing. What does it say? Even your enemies will be at peace with you. Yes. This guy that was sent kill him actually blesses him by saying, "I was sent to kill you." But you have something greater. There's something I can't I can't do anything. You know, <laughs> so it's just anyhow. God bless you guys. You know, I'm thankful that we can get to a place that we can share stuff. You know, because if I was in my flesh. Uh, try to share gems. They just come out like lumps of coal, you know, but when we're in the right place, you know, we can uh, share some cool stuff. You know. And, anyhow, God bless you. I mean, Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Thank, Jesus. thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. We thank God. You. Thank God. We you are Let's thank Him for
0: where He's brought us from. Yes, Lord God, we go. thank we'll you for that you've picked us up. Praise you, God. Praise
1: God, Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord God, that you put our
0: feet on a solid rock. Yes, Thank you, Lord God, that we can live for you and we can be founded Jesus. in you, Lord God. Oh, that we can give you glory and honor. Thank
4: Jesus. you, Jesus, for
0: saving us, Jesus. Lord God. Come
4: on, can we just give God glory Jesus. for saving us? Praise Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah Lord
1: God, taking us out of the darkness. The in the marvelous. Time. Oh, thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Oh, Jesus. Lord God, it's thank great to us. Lord God, hallelujah, hallelujah,
0: hallelujah. Good word,
1: good words. Today.
0: Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord knows what He's doing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews chapter nine. Lord God, bless Your word today. Let it enter into the hearts of Your people might perceive and take benefit. We believe you for it. we believe you for, We thank you for and we pray in the name of Jesus.
4: praise you, Jesus. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 9.
0: writer here is just explaining how without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins verse 23 he takes up and says it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these now to understand you really have to read the rest of, of the chapter really uh, it would be good to read the rest of the whole book before this Um, We we talk about this a lot. We explain that a lot. Um, Unlike anybody else, I can take understanding out of one word out of Scripture, never mind even one word. God can speak through the the jots and the tittles. Amen? Amen. Well, that's what He says. He says, you know, my word is not passing away. It's not going to be undone. He said, you know, not even the smallest little dot not the smallest little curve on the end of the letter is going to pass away until it's fulfilled. If that's true, then even those things can sometimes speak to us. It was a, it was a Hebrew a rabbinical custom to say, listen, we can disagree on a lot of things in this life, but when Messiah comes, He will interpret the Word of God, even the spaces between the words. I have no idea what they thought that meant. But that's pretty wild that even people without the Holy Ghost yet could understand that when the Lord Almighty comes He's going to be the living embodiment of this Word. Some of them understood
2: that. Right.
0: Because unfortunately, a lot of them didn't receive Him when He came. And we see all the patterns. And what patterns is this writer talking about? He's talking about the tabernacle patterns. He's talking about these sacrificial patterns, most importantly, because he's talking about the shedding of blood. Now, shedding of blood is not going to be a popular subject to anybody. It's not. Shedding blood is not going to be a popular uh, occupation for anybody. So, what, what about butchers? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, when they first started, though, they had to learn how to get over their gag reflex, right? Come on, somebody work with me. It's it's not. For, nobody wakes up in the morning says, you know what, I think I'm going to go butcher an animal today. You, st- you start cutting those animals open and you, you smell the smells and you see the gross stuff. I mean, the, the biggest part of is blood. Some people, if someone believes they faint at the sight of blood. Especially if it's their own. Oh, you know, and why? Because somehow instinctively every single one of us knows that the blood should stay on the inside of the body. Right? We instinctively know it's something that should not be seen on the outside. It belongs on the inside. You know, that I've heard some people say um, some of our blood actually has a blue hue to it if it's not uh, you know, introduced to the oxygen. But only when it gets oxygenated it turns right. I don't know if that's true. That's been refuted and, and reconfirmed and refuted against. I don't know who's right about that. But it's interesting to see that blood actually changes when it comes out, outside of the body. That they know this much, when it hits the air, it does interact with the air around it. Right. In other words, it affects the atmosphere, but the atmosphere affects it as well. Everybody, with me? I'm going somewhere with this. When someone is bleeding, it affects the entire atmosphere. All right. Come on, if someone has an accident out there, one, one time we were, uh, a few months ago, we were doing a prayer drive, and and uh, the devil was trying to mess with us. He really was. And we we were here, and the Lord was telling us what to do, and we were just about to leave, and, and right as we were just about to walk out the door, we hear that tell-tale thump, right? That, you know, we, we all know the sound of a car crash. Oh, so, of course, we all ran out. It was a girl on her motorcycle. She somehow hit a car. We don't know how it happened. She was okay. There was some medical personnel that had stopped and, and was looking over and just advised her, stay still, don't move. Other than that, I think she was fine. You know, she looked fine. There was no blood. But it's amazing how, how many people run to an act. I mean, people, like women in the, the space of about 45 seconds, there was a crowd of people around. Why? Because when people see stuff like that, you know, people are attracted. In the old days, they were attracted to the arenas to see some bloodshed. I think people like NASCAR so much and other kinds of racing so much because there's a chance these cars are going to crash, right? And we we also like other violent sports. I mean, anybody here like hockey? I mean, some some of the funnest part of the hockey uh, uh, game is is that people get in fights. They used to get in fights a lot more than they do now. There's a lot more heavier uh, penalties these days than, like, say, back in the 70s. (laughs) These guys. No wonder all these famous hockey stars had teeth missing. They're always punching each other, you know? And, ah, the crowd goes wild! You know, everybody loves to see a little blood. Uh, You say, well, that's kind of cruel to put that on all of us. All, All I'm trying to make a point here about is whenever there's blood, good blood, bad blood, it always changes the atmosphere. Okay? Yeah. I, uh, I had an accident uh, years and years ago. I used to work nights. I would get up because of my particular schedule. I, I would always be up at like five o'clock on a Sunday morning. I don't know why, I'd just be wide awake. I would come home Friday morning from my, my shift and uh, I would try to get some sleep. i try not to get too much sleep because uh, you know, when my wife came home uh, later that evening from work, I I wanted to go to bed with her, and then but my schedule's all off because I'm used to being awake at night. So I try to get a little sleep so I could be asleep Friday night, and then Saturday night I'd do the same thing. I'd be sleeping at night, but for some reason that weird schedule would always kind of catch up with me on a Sunday morning. So five o'clock on a Sunday morning, I'd be wide awake. So I just get up. I usually study. Um, for my Sunday school lesson, get things together at that time, and or sometimes I'd come down to the church, uh, whatever. But so I'd, I'd be up at like five o'clock, and I got out of work at like four four thirty, and I, I I worked about forty five minutes away up in down. So uh, this particular uh, Sunday, uh, or rather early early Monday morning, uh, after being awake for about twenty four hours, I'm coming home and uh, I fall asleep. Hit a tree, smack, dead on, total. my car. I mean, it uh, just, I mean, it was it was rough. Uh, I was okay. Um, I got out of the car. I, I didn't know where I was. My glasses were gone. It, uh, you know, the windshield was had that star crack in it, so I knew I'd hit the windshield. And I hear a voice coming out of the darkness. You want me to call the police? And I was like, yeah, wherever you are, yes, please do. <laughs> Before I had a cell phone, this was back in the 90s, and uh, so I'm waiting there by my car, you know, trying to find my glasses. I, I eventually did, I think, I think I did, and uh, slowly, by slowly, I started feeling the aches and the pains. You know, I, I noticed first of all the side of my arms were burnt because of the the airbag, and you know, uh, I started feeling a little pain over here, a little pain over here, Oh, oh, started feeling a little swelling in my knee. And, uh, but I'm walking, and I'm okay. Probably the adrenaline was, was keeping the pain away at first. But as that started fading, finally, I hear a cop roaring down the road. He gets out of the car real quick, and the first thing he did was like, oh, because so all he saw was a big puddle of red. Well, turns out it was the transmission fluid. <laughs> you know, That's all it was. You know. And, but in the dark, this is early, early, early in the morning before the sun came up, And uh, all he saw was this big puddle of red. And he was just like, his heart just sank. (gasps) Oh, someone's dead. With that much blood on the ground, someone's either dead or bleeding out. And uh, he's like, are you okay? That's not you. I I said, no, I I think that's transmission. (laughs) And we had a good laugh about it later. And uh, thankfully, I wasn't really hurt. I didn't need to go to the hospital or anything. They did check me out in the ambulance. I had a big egg on my knee that's about... All I had, I said, no, I can go home. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, I think I missed one day of work, and I, I was okay. The Lord preserved me. But it's amazing how even when you think it's blood, it, ch- it changes the atmosphere. It changes everything that was going on there. And uh, it was bad enough that someone had an accident. But when there's blood involved, it adds a level. And so the writer of Hebrews is talking a lot about these things. He goes so far as to say, unless blood that's supposed to be on the inside of a body gets outside of the body in a a very specific manner. There is no removal of sin. Sin cannot be removed unless the life of a body that needs to stay in the body, if the body wants to stay alive, has to come out of that body in enough measure that the body dies and the blood is applied in a very specific manner, unless that happens, the sin issue is not dealt with. Now, I know all of us know that. I know we have come to the Lord. I know we have left the world. I know we have been baptized in the name of Jesus. I know we've been filled with the Holy Ghost. But it's thoughts like that, it's familiarity like that, that causes us not to be full of the Holy Ghost.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I'm saying? Is anybody with me today? Yeah. 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 I, 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 I see all these big empty spaces in front of me, so I, sometimes I feel like I'm talking to an empty room. But Anyway, we get to the point where we know the doctrine so well. We understand Jesus died for our sins. That's old hand. Yes, yes, yes. That's basic tense. There's I mean, I can't imagine too many Christians on the face of this planet, no matter what they, you know, who they are in reality, but if they call themselves Christians, I can't imagine that they don't, at least in some passing way, understand that at the very least, the Bible says that Jesus died for our sins. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody with me? Yes. There's a lot of churches out there, a lot of Christians out there that don't really preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. Therefore, they have no power of God. Right. Because Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Right. Yep. To those that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we understand by Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, what is the gospel? He, sh- he shares it with us. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's so many people out there that don't want to offend people with blood. Because blood changes an atmosphere. Even when you start talking about blood, some people get a little woozy and they get a little offended. There are literally churches down through the years that took the word blood out of every one of their songs. I'm not here to pick on folks, but if anybody cares to know, it was the United Methodist Church. They, they literally took blood. out of, Or I shouldn't say they took blood out of the songs. They took all the songs with the word blood in it out of their song books, so that when they came to church, no one ever has to hear about blood. Now I don't know what they do when they do communion. I guess they can just mask it with the wine. Uh, no, we're not going to. We're not going to talk about the blood. We're just going to go through a ceremony where you get to eat a cracker and you get to drink a sip of wine. You know. And, but let's not let's not get real with this and say this is a representation of our Lord's body. And this is a representation of the blood that was spilt because we don't want to offend anybody. Because we don't want to change the atmosphere. We don't want people's lives to change. We just want them to feel good about who they are and what they're doing. And we like to pat them on the back and tell them that they're doing well in their civic duties and uh, just keep doing that. You know, you go to work and you support your family and and you keep being a good citizen and pay your taxes. And you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that gets preached from the pulpit when we hear, you know, from God, He says, instead of being a good citizen of the earth, being a good be a good citizen of heaven. Instead of paying your dues to the earth, and I'm not saying don't pay your taxes, but what I'm saying is, instead of being so focused on paying your dues to this world. Uh, give as an offering unto God, Amen. Right, praise God. You know it, it's we, we understand that, and, and I, I hope that you know by now. I, I'm preaching more of the spiritual side of things. Listen, if we get the spiritual stuff down, the physical stuff is going to work out. That's what He promises to us in Matthew six thirty three. If you will seek the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, Amen. If you will seek that first, everything else like food and clothing and shelter and everything else that we we generally think of more often than any spiritual pursuit, then all that will take care of itself. It's amazing how many people of God don't really believe that though. Yeah, I know it gets quiet when a pastor says stuff like that. It gets quiet. It's hard to accept that. But... What happens is we usually get at the opposite. We'll think of the things of the Lord on certain levels, but often we'll put that stuff in categories. Whereas what we're eating and what we're wearing and where we're living and what car we have and all these things. these are constant, constant thoughts that go through us all the time. Whereas the things of the spirit, the things of the Lord, those are put into categories. Well, I'll you know I'll go to church on certain days or. I'll, I'll do this with my family at certain times. Or I'll read the Bible in the morning. Or I'll have a prayer time in the morning. And A lot of times we'll keep it in that category. But really, we've talked a lot about this over the last several weeks. Even the last several months. It's kind of like, what voice are you listening to the most? That's the voice that you're worshiping. That's the, that's the voice you're serving. That's the voice that you're obeying.
2: Right.
0: Come on, Anybody hear me? Yes. If, if you're hearing the voice of fear and you're obeying that voice more than you're obeying the voice of God, you are serving fear. There's no way around it. If you're hearing the voice of shame more than you're hearing the voice of God, then you are serving shame. And I don't think anybody wants to really do that. Right. But we do it anyway. No one really wants to serve fear. No one wants to serve lust. No one wants to serve this life, especially since we know all the scriptures I've already quoted today. Right. We want to believe, no, no, I'm the child of God, and I've got my focus on heaven, but what do you think about more often? That's, that's where your heart is. Mm-hmm. We just read a scripture last Wednesday night. Uh, or, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, last Thursday night. Uh, we didn't do that online. So we, we, we were dealing with that God of man, and we were also dealing with the God of the belly, And we talked about that scripture in Philippians 3 where it says they mind earthly things. That means earthly things are always on their mind. Well, we know the Bible says if you will give to God, it will be given back more abundantly, right? We know the scripture, Ephesians 3.20, that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We know that scripture. We know elsewhere uh, in Philippians where it says, but my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Right? We know that. Mm-hmm. We we know the scriptures like I just quoted in Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, I don't think there's a soul in this room listen to my voice right now and probably no one online either that does not... Uh, feel that they're very, very acquainted with those scriptures. Uh, somebody say, "Amen." If you're in that group, amen. Yeah, we do. We all know those scriptures. Yeah. yeah. I didn't hear everybody say, "Amen." So maybe you're not, but you should be after today. Right. We know what the Bible says about God taking care of us. Mm-hmm. We know we're the apple of His eye, and yet when we read passages that say the sin is you cannot be covered unless blood gets shed, sometimes we kind of ignore it and say, well, he's just really talking about that old standard of Christianity where Christ died for our sins. Yes, we are talking about that. But we're talking about more than that because it is more than that. Right. Let me try to get to where we're going here today. Verse 23 again. It says, it was therefore necessary that these patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these What is he talking about? Well, let's keep going. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going so far as to say, we had to have animal sacrifice. That's a question that comes up, uh, usually in new believers. Uh, Why did God spend all these years, like 1,500 years, and really it goes all the way back to the beginning, because God killed an animal in order for Adam and Eve to have something to wear, right? Yeah. We see Cain and Abel making, or at least Abel making animal sacrifices and the Lord telling him to. We see Noah being commanded of the Lord to make an animal sacrifice. So really, it goes all the way back to the beginning. It didn't start with Moses. We see Abraham doing it, Isaac doing it, Jacob doing it. Uh, we see, of course, Moses writing the law of it and explaining all the detail. And my goodness, some of these festivals they had, they must have had rivers of blood just in the festival of tabernacles alone. They, you know, they sacrificed just on the Temple Mount 70 bulls within that week alone on the Temple Mount. Never mind everybody else who brought their sacrifices to the Lord during that week. Everybody hearing me? Yep. Now, a cow is not a small animal. The just the normal procedure of the Feast of Tabernacles was they killed, and they killed a lot of other stuff too. But just the bulls, they killed seventy of them. They they started off with this number, and they would increase the number day by day. And if you add up all the numbers within that week, you get to seventy. Now, we're not here to explain all the meanings of those numbers and why. Wherefores and all that stuff, but just to let you know how much blood could be shed up on that temple mount. My goodness, they had buckets and buckets. It could produce a river of blood just flowing down the uh, the side of that that hill, right? I don't know even what they did with all that blood. It, you know, I know they sprinkled some of it here on the side of the, the brazen altar, but my goodness, I couldn't. Have, it would have been a, a not trying to swear here, but a bloody mass all over the place and the Lord is a, a god of order but that's what he said doing and, and, and again this stuff changes the atmosphere and so a lot of times uh, a new saint would be like why all those years did God say you got to kill animals how is that really going to help? why did those poor animals have to lose their life and we get down to this this part right here that explains it quite well he says it was necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens, should be purified. Now let me ask you something. Is there any defilement in God's heaven? No. I don't think so either. More specifically, is there any defilement in God Himself? No, of course not. First John chapter 1 lets us know in Amen. Him is light. There's no darkness at all. Amen? Amen. Now I'm taking a long time to even get to a very minor point. But I'm going somewhere today, so hang with me, all right? Really? Don't, don't turn me off just yet. Why? How could animal sacrifice do anything for us? Well, in one point of view, it really did nothing for us. But in another point of view, when we you when they were living, not you, but when they were living under that system, and I know. It's, it's a popular theme in, in modern Christianity to really make that system different than what we live now. But we live under a covenant. We live with daily sacrifice. We live with daily manna from heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Praise God, now that was only during the wilderness walk. But we, we, we live with daily trimming the wicks and refilling the oil. At least we should be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, we, we live with weekly refreshing of the bread on the table. We live with daily incense on the altar, communication with God, right? We live with daily approaching His throne. At least we should
2: be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Come on, we, we deal with daily sacrifices, daily washing, a daily getting in to where God wants us to be. And if you're not, you should be. And if you're not, this is the problem in your life. True,
2: true.
0: Come on now. Yeah. But he's saying it was necessary to purify the patterns in heaven. Come on. Wait, hold on. Well, you can think of it this way. You know, and I, I, I talk every once in a while about this one, uh, something that in the last couple of years has been pointed out to me by the Spirit. You see that in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, uh, somewhere in verse 6, I think was, it talks about us sitting with Him in heavenly places. Anybody remember that Yeah. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to stay in Hebrews. But in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to write it down in your notes or whatever, we see that uh, we are allowed, we, the access is open for us to sit with Him in the heavenly places. In the same book, we're talking about wickedness in high places. When we're talking about various levels of spiritual forces we're fighting against and should be when we reach certain levels of maturity in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen.
2: amen.
0: Come on, we're looking to reach levels of maturity where we're fighting the devil. We can't just be babies in swaddling clothes all of our life, but that's what a lot of Christians want to be. They, they just want to be, give me the milk, Pastor, give me the milk. That's all I want. Just give me the basics. That's all I want. And I just want to come, sit, and be taken care of, and just feel like everything's all right. But the Lord is saying, that's not life. You need to grow. You need to grow up. You've got a purpose. You've got a job to do. And when it's time to fight, you've got armor that is available to you yeah. to fight the spiritual forces that are trying to
3: kill you. Amen. Right? Amen.
0: So when he says these things, he says there is one level where there is wickedness in heavenly places. Same expression as in chapter 2 he brings back in chapter 6. Same expression. In the King James, it's a different word, but in the Greek, it's the same expression. So Paul is saying the same thing. Now, we sit with him in heavenly places, and there's also wickedness in heavenly places. Oh, oh, head scratcher, wait a minute. I thought there was no wickedness in God. There is not. But the devil is also a spiritual being. And I do not believe he'll overlap space with God. I don't believe that for one second because God is all righteous. He's all righteous. He's all light. There's no darkness. But the devil uses spiritual means to corrupt the world, to corrupt us, to lie to us. That's why we can't see him. Because he hides behind a veil. We can't see angels because they're behind the same veil. We can't see always. We can only see these things in the Spirit. I'm going to tell you something a little bit weird. But even this morning I was dwelling on somebody that's not even anybody in our church. It was Not even anybody that attends this church. But the Lord had me thinking about someone. I saw them in my spirit. Where they were, who they were with, and exactly what they were doing. And I knew it to be a fact. spirit I mean, I can't prove that to you. All I can tell you is what I experienced this very morning. I was in prayer, and the Lord laid someone on my heart. I could see them. I could see the people in the room. I could see the people that were, I would normally think, would be with them, some of them that weren't, and some of them that were. Okay? I'm not trying to convince you because I can't convince you that. I'm just telling you, sometimes the Spirit just opens up our understanding about things we cannot know. There's no way on this earth I could have understood that information unless the Spirit showed it to me. And the Spirit does not show you stuff without a reason. If He shows you something, it's almost always to pray about it, maybe to communicate with them, to call them up and say, The Lord laid you on my heart. And uh, you know to uh, maybe give some ministry as the Lord directs, but at the very least to start praying because God doesn't just show stuff like, "Hey, that's cool, thanks." Right. That's not the way it is. Mm-hmm. But going back to this heavenly pattern, I don't believe for one second that the wickedness that dwells in spiritual spaces is in any way overlapping God's space. I think. I think I have a bunch of people that believe that too. Should I reword it for those of you who didn't understand what I just said? God and the devil, uh, they're not overlapping in any way, right? Is that a little bit more clear? So we all believe that, right? Raise your hand if you believe that. Okay? 50%. Good. Praise God. We'll work on the, the rest of you after church. Anyway, we know that. So we're not talking about in God's heaven, in God's space. You know, our Father. Who are in heaven? Hey, thank you, brother. That trips people up somehow. I don't know why. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were teaching along, and I said, "Where is the Father?" And everybody went huh? like they were scared of that question, and nobody had an answer for me. You know, I looked around, and everybody was just like scared. It's like it's not a true question. The Bible says, "Our Father." Who are in heaven? Jesus says, "My Father," which is in heaven. Several times in the Gospels. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, is in Heaven, okay? Heaven is a euphemism of that spiritual space. It technically means the sky or the outer, uh, outer cosmos. But we, we know it. it means a spiritual place. But when we're talking about God himself, there's no defilement there. So let's, let's be okay with that. And I don't think that, uh, well, some people think it's Paul that wrote this. Whoever wrote Hebrews, I don't think he's talking about the devils who occupy certain kinds of spiritual space. I think what he's talking about is our perception of spiritual space. Now, all that time I took to get here, I got to that point. It's not about God needing to be cleansed. It's about our thoughts of God needing to be cleansed. Anybody see that? Understand that? See, a lot of times we think thoughts about God that are untrue. Is there anybody in the room transparent enough, honest enough to say, yep, that's me. Praise God. Thank you for the few of you. Amen. Now, I'm serious about that. Mm -hmm. It's something that the Lord showed me as a child. A child now. I'm not bragging. I'm not bragging. I'm talking about the grace and mercy of God on a child's life to be able to show even a child. Listen. I don't know where to think because I'm a flawed human being. And the things I think I know, some of those things are wrong. Right. Can we be honest enough yeah. to admit that?
2: Amen. I have a body of knowledge
0: locked in my head and so do you. Yeah. But guess what? Spoiler alert. Some of that knowledge that you think is secure is not even right. right. So first of all, we know that we don't know everything. Second of all, we should know by this stage in our Christian walk that even the things we know, or think we know, some of those things are wrong too, right? Right. Let God be true and every man a liar. What is he saying there? He's saying that there's no human on the face of this planet that knows everything correct all the way. Mm -hmm. And the things you do know, some of those things are wrong. Mm -hmm. Right? So, even our thoughts about God, even our personal interpretations of the Word of God. I don't think that's why the Bible says the Scripture is of no private interpretation, right? right? And I think it's also the reason why God said, or the writers say, that God is no respecter of persons. We see that a couple of times in the Word, right? He doesn't respect one individual's opinion over another. What he respects is when people are obeying the truth and walking in it. Praise mm-hmm. God. That's what he honors. He honors us when we humble ourselves enough to cast our cares upon Him. Isn't that what Peter said? Yeah. Humble yourself, yeah. cast your care upon Him. It takes a humbling before the Lord to say, Lord, I can't deal with this. You please do it. So when we're trying to save ourselves, Jesus already told us, you're going to lose your life if you try. But He says, if you will lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Yeah. We know these scriptures, folks. But it's, often, it's so amazing how often Christians will not walk this. They will do I actually heard a man, this is part of my wife's family uh, some time ago, I heard the words coming out of his mouth. He grew up in an apostolic church, but the words came out of his mouth. Well, I believe God uh, expects us to do everything we can. And then when we can't do anything else, that, that's when he'll help out. That, that is a doctrine that a lot of people believe, and maybe even some of you believe. I'm here to tell you, that's not right. That's not right according to the Word. That's not right according to the Word. That's not a faith walk. Right. It's not a faith walk. You can't work out your, well, we can work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God that works in us, both the will and the do of His good pleasure, but you cannot work for your salvation. right. So if we're living our Christian lives doing everything in our power to save ourselves, and then when we can't do anything else, and when the doctor can't do anything else, and when the, uh, the loan officer can't do anything else, and, and, and you know what I'm saying? Come on, when the, when, when the congressman can't do anything else, that's when God will have to step in. That is not a faith walk. That's right. If we're not leaning on Him for everything, then we're not walking in faith. And that is not a pleasing walk. It's actually, according to the Word, a sinful walk. Now, I'm not here to make everybody a sinner. I'm here to try to pull the veil back a little bit. And we're doing it with a very obscure verse out of Hebrews chapter 9 that's saying literally all that blood was shed, not just for 1,500 years, but really more like 4,000 years, all that blood was shed, that was shed before Jesus Christ was actually necessary in order for us to be able to have pure thoughts about what happens in the heaven because we're so mired in the sinful flesh down here on the earth. That mm. okay. all came down. I mean, I've been talking for a long time today and I've been struggling a little bit to get this out. But the Lord understands what we need. Yeah. He knows we need a purification of mind. Yeah. Now we, we need to understand. The Old Testament was a plan was not a plan A or a plan B or a plan C. It, 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 it was not a a, a first go, uh, a dice roll. Come on, Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Right.
2: That's
0: not God was doing. When I know I use these points all the time, and I know they're just slightly humorous to the point where I've used them so much no one laughs at them anymore because you're sick of my jokes. I get it, but God really isn't rolling dice up there. I think if Einstein got anything right, that's the one thing he got right. God doesn't play nuts.
2: Nice.
0: If you want to know what he meant, you can look it up in your own time. I'm not going to explain that science lesson, okay? Don't have enough time for that. It's therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified. Literally, someone had to take a lamb on the fourth day of the first month Sorry, the 10th day of the first month. That's the month of the modern Hebrew calendar is Nisan. And the days of old is the Abib or Aviv. And on that day, the 10th day, they literally went to their flock and they found the most perfect land. They found the one that absolutely was as perfect as they could possibly get. No blemish, no spots, no nothing. Pure white lamb. It had to be under the age of one year. It had to be from the time of its birth to the time of one year old, and it could not be older than that. It had to be a lamb literally in its first year. They reckon timing a little different than we do today, but it had to be a lamb in its first year. They had to separate it out of the flock. They brought it into their homes. They let it sleep in their house literally having to clean up its pellets, right? Yeah. You know, uh, they even in more modern uh, times, like in medieval times, uh, they would even encourage, the, the Hebrews would encourage their children to name it. So that after four days of handling this pet, petting this little beautiful animal, looking at it, examining it in every way, after four days they could confirm that yes, this is a spotless lamb. There's not one stray hair on this thing. Everybody with me? It was precious to them. It had become like a pet to them. Come on, you know how kids are. It doesn't take them long to attach themselves to an animal, especially a baby animal, right? Right. Now, lambs can get actually pretty big. A lot of times when we think of little lambs, we really think of little newborn lambs. But uh, a a lamb in its first year could actually be a pretty good size animal. But still, it's still a beautiful young animal. They got endeared to this thing, all for what purpose? So they could take it up to the Temple Mount and a priest could slice his throat. Now the kids typically weren't there watching that, okay? The kids wouldn't even have been allowed in there. But they understood when on Passover they would bring this lamb up, uh, the father would bring that lamb up to the to get this thing's throat cut. And later that night, they would be sitting around with their extended family having lamb dinner, understanding this is the animal that we took in our home and made a pet out of the last four days. It was something that spoke to them. It was something that meant something. It was not a casual affair. It wasn't just, hey, Mom, what are we having tonight? Well, we're having lamb medallions tonight. Or or we're having, you know, uh, shepherd's pie with uh, minced lamb meat, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Or we're going to have lamb chops with uh, mint jelly. Anybody have any of these dishes? Anybody get hungry? Brother Chris's testimony was making me hungry earlier. But anyway, um, you know, no, that's kind of what we do now. But in those days, they would have understood. Even the smaller children would have understood. This is our pet we're eating. And they're eating it with bitter herbs. In later years, that was translated into horseradish. Some of you like horseradish, some of you don't, I don't. So yeah, if I had to eat the lamb with horseradish, it would be a bitter herb. But whatever bitter herbs they used back in the day, all the way back to Moses' day, they had to eat this thing understanding. uh, This is not fun. This is not great. This is, this is awful. Uh, my, my wonderful spotless lamb has been killed so that I can have a lamb dinner. It meant something to them so that they could understand this is what God is willing to do for us. So it's purifying God's intentions. It's purifying the fact that He doesn't want us to die. That the law isn't to condemn us. The law is not to kill us. The law is not to kick us out of the church. The law is not to take a sinner who has fallen from grace and kick him while he's down. Mm, That's not what the law is about. We've got a poor uh, opinion of what the law is, which means we have a poor opinion of the God who wrote it.
2: Mm.
0: It wasn't Moses who wrote that. It was God who gave it to him. But we get a poor opinion of the God who put these things down, thinking that in the Old Testament He was a cruel God, but now He's, he's loving fluffing, grace. Well, both are wrong. God is every bit as severe and terrible as He was in what we call the Old Testament. But He goes on to say, the heavens should be purified with these, but they have only things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, they were useful to purify our understanding of spiritual things. But understand, it had to be a batter, better sacrifice than the shedding of an animal's uh, blood, you know? Amen. know? So when you have an animal that is truly sinless, when you have a situation now, can an animal sin? Well, that's a question for the philosophers. I personally don't think so, because I live by instinct.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: An animal can disobey a human. Is that a sin? They don't know. (laughs) Uh, Because, they again, they live by instinct. We all have had pets that have disobeyed us. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I had a fish, and that fish would never do what I told them. No, that's a joke. That's a dumb joke. (laughs) Moving on. But we've all had cats and dogs that defied uh, our commands. So Is that animal sinning? That I'm not sure about. You can ask Jesus about that. See if he might tell you about that non-heaven and hell issue. But today we won't cover that, okay? What we do know is when you get someone who can sin, Jesus came in sinful flesh, right? According to the seed of his father David. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh according to the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. in, In order to lay down his life for sin. So, we know that it had to be the ultimate, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist called it. Behold, the Lamb of God, who taketh away sin. the sin of the world. So it was necessary. It was necessary for them to understand this. the why? Because they can't be saved in that system without understanding it's God that saves them. Because if they don't understand God saves them, and they're not saved. If they think that I'm going to work for this thing, they're just as lost as we are. God didn't implement works in the Old Testament, faith in the New Testament. That's not true. It's never been true. It's always been faith. It's always been faith that leads to obedience. It's always been hearing the Word of God and doing the Word of God. Just like now. Amen? Let's read a few other verses, shall we? For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself so often as the high priest entered in the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then he must have suffered, often have suffered, since the foundation of the world. Notice how he says foundation of the world. This is not just something that covers from Moses on the mountain to Jesus, right? So when people preach the dispensation, oh, that fourth dispensation or that fifth dispensation, whatever it was, was law, you know, we're we're, we're only really thinking of 1500 years. But the Bible does not say that. It says from the foundation of the world. It's talking about a sacrifice from the very foundation. That means when Jesus is speaking the foundation's end, Remember when God was talking to Job? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Anybody remember those scriptures? Yeah. Out of Job, what is it, thirty-eight, somewhere in there? Yeah. I mean, Job had nothing to say. You know, if God starts talking to you like that, you'll lose your breath. You'll lose your ability to speak. You'll basically have the ability to lay on your face in front of God, and that's about it. And just a big puddle of goo. When God starts asking you questions like, where were you when I laid these foundations? You have no idea. And what He was saying is in the very foundation, in the very creation, God was speaking sacrifice. God was laying out salvation. God had in this plan all the time that if I'm going to make a man, I'm going to save a man. Great. If I'm going to make a people, I'm going to be their Savior. Right. I'm going to be a sacrifice for them. Otherwise, it will not work. He put it in pattern. He laid down the pattern over and over and over. He put Abraham to death, according to the rabbis. And then he walked through the pieces, showing that you can't live up to the covenant. I'm going to have to do it for you. You can't do anything. All you can do is be obedient and lay the sacrifice out. But well before that, he put Adam to death and pulled Eve out of the soul of well, the rib, out and fashioned Eve out of that rib. It wasn't just that Adam was asleep. He was in the semblance of death. He was laid out, prone, upon the ground. Prone basically means face up, okay? He was laid out on the ground. God, having put him to death, in the semblance of sleep, He pulled a rib out of him. Fashioned a woman, fashioned a bride, showing us that without death, there is no relationship. There is no family. There is no offspring. There is no life. In fact, he said, I am all life, but if I want to have a companion, I have to enter into death. It was the plan from the start. It was the plan from the start. When we start asking questions like, well, if God is righteous, why did He put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Or if God was so good, why does He let bad stuff happen to good people? Come on, we've all heard these questions. We've all struggled with answering these questions. Oh, some people have a patent law well, because of sin. Well, yes, okay, fine, because of sin. But who introduced sin? Well, that was the devil. That was Yes, it was the devil. But why did God make a being that He knew could disobey Him? So effectively that He drew a third of the angelic host? out of heaven, that they were cast down to earth in the same place that He put His people in order to one day to, uh, deceive a woman and then give the fruit to a man, thereby ending his immortality. Why? Why, why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because our thoughts are impure. Now, I know that's not fun to hear, but the Lord is telling us in this Word we needed to then take an animal, slice its throat... Hot, gushing blood being poured out, pumped out by its own heart action until the heart stopped. In order to understand something serious has got to happen if we want a relationship with God. If we want to have intimacy with the living God, if we want to have offspring of God's own character, Christ's own character coming out of us, there's got to be a sacrifice. There's got to be some bloodshed. And I'll go all the way back to the beginning of the message. When blood starts pouring out, folks, it changes the environment. Mm -hmm. But like we said before, the environment changes the blood. If it's not used properly, if it's just poured out all over the ground, it starts to stink. Because the environment changes it. But when it's used properly, when it's poured in the proper places, it's somehow some staining, defiling blood somehow brings cleansing. Anybody ever get confused about uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18? Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white white as wool or snow, whatever it was, right? Though though they be crimson, I'll make them white like wool. wait a minute. How is he going to? He's going to take his blood and pour it on something that's already red and that's going to turn it white? Well, yeah, I've seen uh, chemistry experiments that do that. But is he just talking about some colossal chemistry experiment? No, he's talking about something that goes beyond our normal understanding, showing us that our normal understanding has to be purified. <coughs> that when he is pure, that the blood that we have shed in our own life and the life of others gets washed away. Everything gets washed away.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And besides that, when you're talking about the righteous blood of the Lamb, you know it's not that red, stinky, rotten stuff that comes out of the offal of a, a, a fish market, right? It's not the same thing. It's light. It's life itself. And it, take, it, it, it accomplishes its purpose. It washes all the old stain that was on us and washes it all away by the glories of God. Right. Because if we're talking about this spotless lamb, we're talking about inside and outside. This does not defile, uh, defile and it does not cause spots on me. This is something that needs to be purified in our mind. When we start asking questions like we asked a few minutes ago, really it's an indication that we don't really trust God. And we really don't think He's trustworthy. That's why often it's the younger saints that do it. But some of these questions persist in a lot of people's lives that have been saved for a long time. Because there's some dark corner of their life that God still needs to purify.
2: Mm.
0: Now we just read here that it's only going to happen once. Because He's not going to suffer more than once. Otherwise, He would have suffered often from the foundation of the world.
2: Right?
0: He's not going to do that. What He did, He did once. But we need the blood applied often. We cannot put Him to open shame. We cannot put Him back on that cross. That's what another place in Hebrews talks about, right? Hebrews chapter 6, I believe it was. Let me read this again. For He must... For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world. Now that that always... That always starts working on my mind. Wait a minute. The writer of this probably wrote this like 1,900 years ago, right? Maybe almost 2,000 years ago. That wasn't the end of the world. And yet somehow these guys knew that we're really talking about we're winding down to the end, Right? Like when I used to work a, a five day a week job, you know, uh, working up in Boston at, at an insurance agency up there. Of course, we work Monday through Friday. Everybody called Wednesday Hump Day. Why? Because that's the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. Once you get halfway through Wednesday, it's all a downward slide. That Friday afternoon, when we get our paycheck, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I wonder if I'm talking to the right group. This might, this might. So we all understand that concept when we work a five-day week Monday through Friday. Wednesday's the middle, right? right. right. Well, when we're talking about a seven-day week, Wednesday's still the middle.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we're, we're talking about the number seven. If you've gotten to number four, then you've already made it to the middle day, right? Because mm-hmm. it's three days after, and three days before. And when you've gone over that hump, if you will, it's a slide down to the end. Well, when the writer is writing this, he's writing in the latter half of the week. Because all these guys back in those days believed that we're on a 7,000-year cycle. And it's not really a cycle. It's a 7,000-year plan. That there's going to be man's history for 6,000 years, and there's going to be a millennial rest for the 7,000. Now, I'm not going to try to teach you that as doctrine, but we can find evidence, ancient evidence, that these guys in these days believed that. Right. Uh, Peter even said, a day is as a thousand years. What was he saying? He was based on the idea that each day of creation represented a thousand year span of the entire scope of human history. Most of, or some of which we have not seen yet. But these writers would have understood we've already come past 4,000 years. Hey, we've slid past the hump. Now we're on the downward slide to the end. So he's saying at the end of the world from all the way to Adam all the way to the end. It doesn't matter what he meant by this. It's still the eternal Word of God. And we're reading it now in what we believe is the end of the world. Right. My goodness, if we're not the end of the world, what's the end of the world going to look like? Well, I think it's going to look a little worse than this. and Probably a lot worse than this. But I still think it's coming soon. Mm-hmm. That's not to scare folks. It's to prepare us, right. purify our hearts and minds by Christ Jesus and the blood of the sacrifice because sin cannot be removed unless this blood is applied.
2: Right. The old timers
0: used to say, plead the blood, plead the blood. My dad didn't really like that expression, but somewhere along the way, I started to get reacquainted with the expression and the idea of plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Now sometimes, now, usually the old timers would say like if something bad happened, oh, plead the blood of Jesus. Well, we need to plead the blood of Jesus every day. You know, even when we feel good, Lord God, I need Your blood to cover me. Right. I'm not asking You to pour it out again. I'm asking You for the spotless Lamb's and blood that was shed for me to be applied again to me,
2: right? Amen. Right.
0: Because there's still crevices in my mind, in my heart that are still dark corners that need cleansing. Hey, listen. I know our salvation is in God's hands, but understand we're played out in time. That means it doesn't all happen at once. You receive the Holy Ghost. That's awesome. That's a good road. It's not the finish. It's the start, baby. Yes. Right. Come on. A birth is not the finish. It's the start. We're expecting a lot of things from those little children. Yep. That's why we put things in them. That's why we educate them. That's what we're doing. We know this. We know this. Let me let me go a little further. Verse number seven. No, I, actually, uh, I'm still not done with verse twenty-six. But now once in the end of the world he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. According to this writer, salvation is not until the end of the world. He says the same thing in chapter 13. Now at the end of the world we see salvation. So this is not some fluke. He says it twice. This writer says it twice in his book that we do believe that God inspired as scripture. Somebody say amen. 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 Only if you believe it. But I believe this is inspired twice. We have it confirmed in this book alone that he's talking about salvation comes at the end of the world. It comes at the end. That's what Jesus says. He that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. That's the reason why suicide is not an option. You're cashing out before God can finish you. That's the reason why being a pew warmer is not an option. Because you're not letting God finish you. That's the reason why playing around, going to an altar, repenting, and then going out and living a worldly life, uh, and then coming back and repenting and going out and coming, that's not an option. Because God can't fix anything that's continuously being defiled, He'll keep trying to clean you up. right. right. But it's like you got to start over. <clears throat> you know, I'm going to say one more thing before we quit today. There was a, a law in the Old Testament. It's called the Law of the Nazarite. We all probably read that, heard that. There's there's a few things that a Nazarite. It, it seemed like this, it, not the law of the Nazarite, rather the vow of the Nazarite there's a few things that if you took that vow, that it was really more defined by what you were restricted in. You weren't uh, to cut your hair. You weren't to eat anything from the vine, even dried grapes you couldn't eat. Uh, you couldn't uh, drink anything fermented. Okay, You couldn't touch dead animals in the space. now. A lot of times we think of lives like Samson and Samuel, things like this. These were rare occurrences. Everybody with me on that one? The vow of a Nazarite could last five days, 40 days, a year. It was whatever they felt like they needed to give to God. Okay? So what happens is what they would do typically, it didn't happen all the time at the start, but traditionally what they would do is when they started their vow, they would shave their heads. They would shave every last scrap of hair on their head. And then they would begin their vow. And then at the end of the vow, what would they would do is they would shave their head one more time, collect all the hair that grew during the space of that vow, and then burn it on an altar before the Lord. Okay? But here's the thing. If at any time, let's say you have a 40-day vow under the Lord your God, I'm going to live this way as a Nazarite. Basically, that means as separate. I'm going to live as separate for these 40 days. It's kind of like fasting, but it's not. It's really more in the idea of sacrifice. I'm sacrificing things in my life. Everybody with me? Mm -hmm. For this amount of time. It could be any amount of time. Whatever you felt like you were going to give to God. If at any time during that time you realized, oops, I accidentally drank some wine or... I accidentally touched a dead animal, or whatever it might have been. What you have to do is you have to stop, shave your head, and the clock starts up from where you left off. But not from where you left off, but it starts back up from the beginning. Everybody hear me? So in other words, you could have made it all the way to day 38, and you realized, "Uh uh-oh, I did something that broke my vow. You have to go shave your head, wash ritually, change your clothes. And then the vow starts up with day one. You've got to do another 40 days after. You are almost done. But if you broke it at any time, this is the reason why it is said it would be better to never have made the vow than to make a vow and keep it. It's not that you're damned to hell if you make the vow. You have to start over at day one. That's the tough thing. If you made it all the way to day 39, you'd be thinking, oh, boy, I've got to start all over again because, yeah, yeah, got to start all over and we remember that story of Samson right we see that he was supposed to be a Nazarite from his youth all the days of his life so he never cut his hair that guy was the worst keeper of that vow he broke it all over the place I mean my goodness he ate food out of the carcass of a lion never mind touching the lion you ate something out of its guts you know how did he think that was going to be okay but he constantly was breaking his vow so there came a day where they shaved off all his head, hair. And they put out his eyes because that was the other thing. You had to make a sacrifice. When you broke your vow, you had to bring it to the Lord to make a sacrifice unto him. Samson, near the end of his life, he had his eyes put out like as a sacrifice unto God. His head was shaved. But it said, when his hair began to grow back out, the strength of the Lord came back over his life. And he said, now at the end of my life, it was this is, this is a misunderstanding with a lot of people of God. Samson was not committing suicide. He was saying, my life is over. My vow is over. He understood that somehow his vow was over. He said, now at the end of my life, let me do this. He pushed those pillars down, and he killed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life, and he killed a lot of them in his life. What was it, something like 5,000 people he killed that day? This is not to scare anybody, but this is the kind of seriousness that we're talking about here. It's a life sold out to God. Amen? It's a life sold out to Him. We are looking for His second appearing. This time, it's not going to be a sin issue. This time, it's going to be the salvation issue. The first time was to get rid of sin, so He shed His blood. The next time He comes, there won't be any bloodshed. He will come in a vesture dipped in blood, according to the book of Revelation. Everybody hear me? He's going to show on His outward sign, this vesture that I have has been dipped in the blood. I'm going to show you I'm coming back for vengeance, for blood that was shed against me. What we're talking about is we don't have time to play around. He says there's things in our heads that need to be purified. So when we look at the Word of God and we look at the pattern and we start questioning everything and we try to put everything in nice neat boxes to make us feel good, the Lord is saying your minds are not pure. I'm coming back without sin. The sin thing isn't going to be there. I'm not coming back to deal with your sin. Come on, everybody, to hear me very closely. Yeah. When Jesus yes. comes back, it's not to deal with our sin. Right. So you better let God deal with your sin before He comes back. That's
2: right. That's right. That's
0: what He came for the first, the first time. He came, in the embodiment of the pure sacrifice. He lets us know and keeps teaching us, and we keep learning the pattern so that we can purify our understanding of the things of the heaven, so that we can keep getting revelation, so that the blood can get. Tend to be applied because this is what is going to take care of the sin issue. That's
2: right. That's right.
0: There are too many Christians these days that have learned to live with habits. Yeah. They've learned to live with fear. They've learned to live. But we even just read it. Man is appointed once to die. You know what this is talking about? It's not talking really about us so much. It's talking about Jesus. He was appointed once to die because, of course, everybody brings up the example. Well, well, what about uh, people that were raised from the dead? They died and then they're going to die again. Yeah, I know, but not Jesus. Jesus is going to die one time. And that's already been done, amen? Amen. He's never going to die again, folks. Therefore, that tells us the sin issue has to be taken care of between His death and His reappearing. Yeah. Man is appointed once to die. After this, the judgment. But it's not like we don't have appointments. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, we're appointed to affliction. We have an appointment with it. And then he says, therefore, we endure tribulation. Later in the same book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 9, says we are not appointed under wrath. We have certain appointments and there's certain appointments we don't have. We will come to affliction and persecution and tribulation That's part of our appointment. That's part of the the, the stuff that's going to get this out of our life. How to purify our minds and our hearts. Like we preached weeks and weeks ago. You know, he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Right? It's the same idea. It's the shedding of blood. But understand, when blood is shed, it changes the environment. It changes the environment. But if the blood is not applied, the environment also changes the blood. I'm not trying to confuse you with clever thoughts. I'm trying to say this is a serious deal. This is not just some religious ordinance. When we come up here and take the bread and the the grape juice, it's not just a religious service. It's something that is meaningful. It's something that is supposed to be facilitating to get rid of anything that's left. We cannot afford to sit in the cracks and just think, "I'm, I'm I'm in a waiting game. Waiting for Jesus to come back because I received the Holy Ghost and I'm all set. You know? It's the same old message, it's just repackaged, folks. So Christ was once offered. Why? Because it was appointed a man to die once, and after this, the judgment. Jesus died once. After this, the judgment. He died to take care of our sins. He's coming back without sin unto salvation. There's also going to be a judgment. are we ready to stand in the judgment? This is something you need to ask yourself every day. Not in fear. Because fear is not of faith, right? Fear is not of God. Fear is of doubt and grief and shame and all that realm. You've got to get rid of fear. If you're living your life according to fear, you're not living according to faith. If you're living your your life more in the realm of, of hate and separation and evil, you're not living in the realm of love. It's love that casts out fear. Come on, we've got an appointment. Do you think that God is going to bring, going to allow you to come to an appointment without His approval?
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And do you think that if God says today's your appointment, you're going to get out of it? (laughs) No. We're spending too much time trying to save our life. And I know everybody asks the same question because we get right back in that car line. Are, Are you saying that we're just supposed to Walk down the street naked? Obviously not. But we seek first the kingdom of God right. Amen. and His righteousness. Everything else we need in this life is going to be provided for us.
2: Yeah. It's
0: too much of a habit of people that when they get into a financial situation they think maybe I can get a loan. Don't think of a bank before you think of Jesus. Yeah. There's too many times when people think uh, my child is not acting right. Maybe I should see a child psycho. Don't you let some non-Holy Ghost-filled person talk to your child. You pray over that child, and the authority God gave you over that child, in the name of Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, and you wash that thing out. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We think when we get sick of our body, a lot too often we think, okay, I'll go, I'll go and get it taken care of in the medical facility. Then I'll come to church, the next church service, and ask people to pray for me. Some people don't even do that. We had a precious sister of God years ago that the Lord actually got angry with. The Lord got angry with this precious woman of God because she just could not, for some reason, let God build her faith in the area of he can heal her miraculously. But it was not more than that. She wouldn't even go down the road of baby steps, of believing in God, even the small things. And she had this idea, I've got to do this on my own. And that interpreted in her mind was, I've got, to, I've got to go to the medical. She, she never told anybody. She never, she never said nothing to nobody. She went and got herself tested out. It turns out she's sick. She asked them what they needed to do. There. She started this... Program of wellness with them, and then she told uh, me and my wife, "Uh, Can you please pray about this? Uh, It's like I I almost wanted to be mean and say, Seems like you've got it all figured out. Never ask God first, never pray about it first, never bring it to the church and say, Church, I need you to help me pray. This is not pleasing to God. No. See, we always want a preacher to say cut and dry things, and I try my best too, but often I can't because it's the point where God's got to help you. God's got to tell you. We always want the preacher to either say it's okay to go to doctors or it's not okay. But I'm always telling you, you pray to Jesus and have him tell you what to do. Right, yeah. Is there anything wrong with that? No, of course not, but we like someone to tell us. Because if the pastor tells us something we don't agree with, we simply leave the church. Oh, that church believes differently than I do, so I gotta go find a church that believes like me. No, you need to find a Jesus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's going to disabuse you of a lot of silly notions that are running around your brain that you already know is there. That's great. Praise God. I've been preaching a long time today, so let's quit. Stand with me. Praise God. I'm not angry. The Lord's not angry. But the Lord is saying we're same message repackaged. He's saying the same thing He's been saying for months. We're getting too close to the end, folks. To have these kind of things. We need the patterns of the Old Testament to purify our understanding about how the Spirit works. We need to understand something precious has to die in order for life to go on. Because of sin. But we also have to understand He's not coming the next time to deal with sin, folks. Nope. He died once after this is the judgment. When He comes back the next time, it's judgment. He's going to simply judge you of what your life is. Lord, help to it, Lord, Jesus. Lord God, help us one more time. Help us one more time. Lord God. Help us one more time. Oh Lord Jesus, we played around with the wrong issues. Do I need to come to church every service? Oh, Lord God, help us to understand it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question, Lord. Lord God, is it okay to, to take a loan from the bank? Lord God, help us to understand it's the wrong question. Help us to understand that the only question is what does the Word say and what is the Spirit leading? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What are You saying in my heart today, Lord God? And where is Your Spirit leading me? to get rid of all these foolish notions and begin to look at the pattern again so that I can understand the blood needs to be applied to purify those places in my heart and my mind and my very spirit that need to be purified again. Lord God I'm not asking you to go to the cross again. I'm not asking you to go to the cross for me or anybody else. I'm not asking you to suffer again. Because You are the spotless man. You are the risen Savior. Lord God, You are the perfect one. And Lord God, You never deserved to die for us in the first place, but it was Your plan, Lord God, because You wanted intimacy with a bride. And I thank You for it, O God. Lord God, I thank You for the opportunity to have offspring from You, O God. So Lord Jesus, help me to see the bigger picture. Help me to see the larger understandings. Help me to surrender my life before You. To humble myself
4: before You. Hallelujah. 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 To cast
0: my care upon You.
4: Jesus. And
0: to realize, Lord God, now is the time to get rid of the
2: Hallelujah.
0: Oh, Lord God, now is the time to get rid of selfishness. Now is the time to, to get rid of uh, bitterness and unforgiveness that we are not promised tomorrow. Lord God, help us to understand this. Give us a revelation of this in the church. Oh, Lord God, wash out by the pure blood of Jesus Christ all notions of religion. Lord God, all notions of tradition. Lord God, all notions of false doctrine. Lord God, personal interpretations, opinions, preconceived notions, personal goals. Lord God, wash it all away. Lord God, and give us the unadulterated word of life into our hearts today. Lord God, into our life today. Lord God, to teach us to speak these things Hallelujah. out of our mouth and to proclaim them. Oh, Lord God, and to declare them, and to thank you for them, and to live in them, walking in them. Lord God, you told us that if we walk in the light as you are in the light, Lord God, that we will yes. be cleansed. Amen. Hallelujah, that we will have fellowship. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we love You. We come to You, Lord God. Hallelujah, we love You. We come to You, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, I wonder if you just spend a couple of minutes in prayer today. Hallelujah, I wonder if... I wonder if you could just uh, give yourself over to the Lord today. Come on. This is the the most serious time in your life. Yesterday is gone and you're not promised tomorrow. So the only time that you can deal with it is now. We're not trying to lay a manipulation on you. We're not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. We're trying to let you know today is the day of salvation because it's the only time. It's today right now. Is the absolute most important time in your entire life because you can't get back to yesterday's and you don't even know if tomorrow's coming this is the choice moment and I'm-